keep all of that in mind. You want to get a pre-approval. I prefer to have my clients have a pre-approval before they even start looking at rental properties because it's really competitive right now in this space. Properties are going really quickly that you have the pre-approval letter already in hand. Welcome to the Get Real Podcast. Your high octane boost of full-on reality therapy for personal, business, and investing success with your host, Ron Phillips, because somebody's got to tell it like it is. Hello, and welcome to the Get Real Podcast. I am your host, Heather Marchant. I am hijacking this podcast yet again. I'm starting to think that maybe it just needs the Get Real Podcast and less about Ron Phillips because I keep hijacking it. So (laughs) I wanted to talk a little bit about lending and financing as part of our 10 podcast series. So we've been doing this because we had a class series that we ran and we thought it worked really well to help people get the full scope and full vision of what we do without talking about it in a two, five hour lecture series. So this kind of breaks it up in shorter components, which I think is really helpful. So I would love to hear how this is going for you in the series. I think this is part number four of the series and I'd love to hear, I know Ron would love to hear as well, how you're enjoying it, what you think we're missing. Um, You can always reach out to us at invest at rpcinvest.com and we would love to answer any questions you have as well. So anything you think we're missing, wanna cover in the future, I've been getting some of those suggestions still, which is actually really helpful and shapes future podcast episodes. So I'm gonna dive right into the content because there is a little bit to cover today. So a lot of people, I ask this question of us in understanding what really are my options? for available funds that I have to use. And often when I've talked to people over the years, I've been pretty surprised that they don't know, they don't really understand their current balance sheet, their available funds that they have to work with. Or maybe they just discount them and don't really think of them as an option. So we're gonna talk a little bit about that today. So first, your assets that you have, you have several different categories. First is gonna be cash equivalents. So those are assets you can liquidate pretty readily. That would be your cash, of course. That's an obvious one. As well as stocks, bonds, mutual funds, you can cash those out and you know have the funds with less than within like less than a week or so, right? You also have cash value life insurance. That has been awesome for my own portfolio. I've loved that policy. So if you're not familiar with that, I know we've had other podcast episodes where we've talked about that, but if you don't want to dig into the archives, (laughs) I'll cover it briefly. Um, I overfund a cash value life insurance policy, and I basically can borrow against that policy myself and pay myself interest, which is awesome because when I take the funds out, I'm not even required to pay them back. I just, that my death benefit decreases by that loan amount if I never pay it back. So I've actually used it to keep extra cash on hand, kind of like a savings account and uh, utilized it for investment. So I pull it out to buy a rental property, pay it back slowly. I just have an auto bill pay going in my bank account back to that life insurance policy loan. And then once it's paid off, I do that again. 
So that has been awesome. And that money grows faster than I think it will every time. <laughs> so that part's really cool. Um, kind of like a debt snowball idea inside of a life insurance policy that grows tax-free. So hard to go wrong there. So there's one other option. And if you have more questions about that or want to know how to do that, we have a lot of great people that we've worked with that we can refer you to. If you just want to reach out and email us, I'm happy to connect you. The second um, group of funds would be retirement plans. So qualified and non-qualified funds. A lot of um, plans you can actually roll over into a self-directed retirement account. There's lots of custodians out there that allow you to purchase rental properties or really almost any asset inside of a retirement account. There are like two things I think it is that you can't buy inside of a retirement account and it's life insurance policies and collectibles, <laughs> no wine collections <laughs> inside of the retirement account. Um, you can even get a loan inside of a retirement account. So the possibilities with retirement accounts, I feel like that's pretty well locked down that everyone thinks that all they can invest are the few items like stocks and mutual funds and things like that. But there are actually almost limitless options. I have clients that have gold bars inside of a self-directed retirement account. So those would need to be rolled over to a self-directed IRA custodian that will allow you to do that. There are several of those. We've worked with lots of them over the years. Probably my top three would be Equity Trust and maybe Pensco. And then Mountain West IRA. Mountain West IRA is a smaller company, so maybe not as well known. But what I love about them, it's where my IRA is, is that I call and I talk to the, one, the same person <laughs> rather than uh, having to go through a phone tree and talk to a different person every time. So that is, I highly recommend. The third bucket would be home equity. So although that is available cash, it does take some effort, right, to get that out. It's not instantaneous. Either you sell and liquidate the property or you're doing a home equity line of credit or you're refinancing the property to get access to those funds. So that is another bucket of money. And right now, man, the refis are crazy, crazy popular. And I did hear today that they're adding on some fees starting November 1st for refinances. So if you've been toying with the idea of refinancing, I would jump on it before those fees increased. I think part of the reason they're built in there is to get the refinances to slow down because <laughs> there's a lot of refinances going on. It's slowing all of our transactions down because appraisers are overloaded. Oh, it's been brutal. So that is uh, something I would act on quickly though especially for a rental property. I just refinanced one of mine and it, it decreased my payment like $300 a month almost. So that's just extra money in my pocket or I can use it to pay down the mortgage faster. Just gives you a lot of other options. So, and I didn't think I had that high of a rate before. <laughs> so, okay. Then of course, when we start looking at that first bucket of money, right? If we're looking back at the cash equivalents, then you have some really good options for traditional conventional financing, okay? Um, you're gonna have personal guarantee. They're gonna pull your credit and there's not, not really a way around that. <laughs> I wish, <laughs> that'd be great. You can, you know, ask them to pull, make a soft pull on your credit or, you know, strategically plan on when they pull your credit, depending on what you're purchasing. 
Right now, I just did a refinance on my primary residence, a refinance on a rental property, and I'm closing on another rental property all in a very short period. And I've shared on here that I financed this RV that I'm in. And so between all of those, my credit's been steadily declining. I know it'll come back up because I've not taken on any bad debt and I'm making my payments, but I did reach out to the lender and say, hey, <laughs> when, when are you pulling credit and let's talk strategy because I have been very active with credit lately. So just a few tips and pointers there. So right now you can get 10 conventional loans per borrower. And a couple things that are important to know about that, you, and you can be a little strategic to allow yourself to have more loans. So if you are married and or have a business partner that you invest with, then you can each go on the loans individually and you can have up to 10 loans individually. So that would potentially be 20 loans. However, if you choose to purchase and you both go on the loan, if you both go on the contract, that means you're both on the loan, then that utilizes a loan position for each of you. That means collectively you only get 10. So keep that in mind. I educate people on that all the time and it can be a game changer. That sounds, and maybe at first you're thinking, I'm never gonna use 10 loans, right? But if we take a step back for a minute, if you have a primary residence and you are on there with a partner or a spouse, then that is a one loan each of you have used already, okay? So it leaves you with three loans left. So maybe you buy three rental properties. So you have a total of four mortgages. Back in 2008, if we flash back for a minute, maybe you weren't aware, but they reduced that loan limit to four loans per borrower overnight you guys, and nobody buy rental properties. It was brutal. <laughs> so if you're going to have a reduction like that, and maybe we have a downturn in the economy and property goes on sale, you cannot get in the game. And that happened with a lot of our clients. So if we would have reversed that and said, okay, we're both on the primary residence together. We're buying three rentals. We're going to put them in one spouse's name. Then you Theoretically, if the loans cut back to four, you'd have three more loans to utilize in your spouse's name, okay? So just make sure that you weigh that in the balance. The only way to change that is a refinance. That's it. So you wanna make sure that you've strategically planned with those loans. You, there may not always be 10. In fact, it went from four to six and from six to 10. And the change from six to 10, I wanna say was about four years ago. I'd have to look up the date, but I remember how excited we were because from six to 10, that's huge. And we knew that it would allow other people to invest with conventional financing. So conventional financing is the cheapest financing for rental properties out there. It is 20% down for a single family, 25% down for a multifamily. Um, interest rates are so low right now. I like feel bad even putting it on a rec recording here where later on we can just reminisce on how good the days were. But <laughs> um, there are three and a half, three and three quarters percent interest rate. Um, if you're new to the real estate investing game, that may seem high, but that is for an investment loan. Investment loans are about one point higher than your primary residence loan. So keep that in mind. So that is actually really low. And a lot of the lenders we use, 
they love the investment space and working with investors. So they actually are kind of the lowest in the industry. I have a couple that are even lower than three and a half right now, which is unthinkable. So that could change tomorrow. So, but, and they are 30 year fixed. So you can't find any cheaper loans. And if you get past 10, there are other options available to you. It's not, it's not that you can't buy anymore. It's just that the terms are more expensive. And in 2008, there just wasn't a whole lot of options. So you paid cash. That was the way to get in the game for a lot of people. So keep all of that in mind. You want to get a pre-approval. I prefer to have my clients have a pre-approval before they even start looking at rental properties because it's really competitive right now in this space. Properties are going really quickly that you have the pre-approval letter already in hand, right? Makes it really simple, really easy to be able to move forward with the property rather than saying, hang tight, I got to get my pre-approval letter. <laughs> Loan pre-approval doesn't take a lot of time. It usually is a 24-hour turnaround. I have a couple of our lenders pretty overloaded right now, so I wouldn't be surprised if that's industry standard, that they're a little overloaded because of all the refinances. And so it may take, you know, three days. If you have a really complex portfolio, it could take a week or so. So keep that in mind. Nothing crazy. As far as retirement accounts, right? You have traditional and SEP and simple and Roth and spousal and inherited IRAs, right? So there's so many different kinds. You have your 401ks, your 403bs, your 457s. There are several different types of retirement accounts. You can utilize them to buy rental properties. I feel like it's a secret that is kept close <laughs> to make sure people don't get creative with what they do with their money. So some loan details to know about. So the loans that are required by the IRS in order to purchase with financing inside of a retirement account have to be non-recourse loans. So what is non-recourse? Briefly, for those who haven't heard of it before, if I purchase a property in Alabama and I can't make my payment for whatever reason. They can foreclose on the property and take the property, but they cannot come after any of my personal assets. It doesn't affect my credit. They cannot come after any of my retirement account funds. They take the property and that is it. So most of our lenders that are, do these non-recourse loans, they don't even run your credit. You don't send in your tax returns. I've had a few lately do it, and I think it's more just to show that you're financially responsible, that you're not just gonna get a property and just blow all of the money that comes from it and just make a mess, right? So they wanna know that you know how to handle money. But other than that, they really don't require that you send any sort of personal documentation. So the property qualifies for the loan, which is without having your credit pulled or anything, right? So when I find a client with a, IRA that wants to purchase, I actually send the property pro forma to the non-recourse lender. Usually I have to answer a few of their questions and then they tell me the property qualifies and here's the terms, here's what will, you know, the down payment, the loan to value, etc. before they even talk to the borrower, <laughs> which is pretty cool. Um, so a couple things to also keep in mind that usually throws people for a loop is that when you own a property inside of an IRA, the IRA has to pay the expenses on the property and the income goes into the IRA. No exceptions. So you do not in any way 
get to commingle funds. That's a prohibited transaction. We'll get you in trouble. We have to pay fines and fees, penalties, I mean. So what you want to do is consider it like it's a relative. So I heard it called Uncle Ira and it makes a lot of sense. It's like an uncle who's buying the property. You are not buying the property. So the uncle is going to pay all the expenses and have all the income from the property, okay? All right, back to the loan terms, non-recourse loan. Got a little sidetracked. So typically those are 35 to 40% down. So a lot higher down payment. These non-recourse loans are higher risk to the bank, right? They are typically fixed for only five years and they're adjustable after that. So they're usually a five-year adjustable rate mortgage gives you the best terms. You can extend it to seven or 10 years, but they increase the interest rate, right? So you kind of have to weigh that in the balance. Interest rate is between five and 6%, I would say, depending on the day. Sometimes it can vacillate a little bit, but for the most part, it stays in that range. And it is a 20-year amortization rather than a 30-year. So when you buy a property in an IRA, you're basically having more equity gains than you are cash flow gains. So you're still getting a great rate of return, but you're paying off the loan faster because it's, it's amortized over 20 years, your payments are higher. So cash on cash return is kind of burned in the process of that, but it also is going to help you because you're building equity and really the only thing you want that cash for in the IRA account is for any vacancy or maintenance expenses because you're not, most people aren't accessing that money actively like they are in a checking account, right? So that's just sitting there till you're 59 and a half. All right, talking briefly about 1031 exchanges because that is one way to use equity, right? So you sell a property, it's a tax deferred exchange. So you have real estate for real estate. You hire an accommodator who are the trustee. They are the trustee of the money. So the money never goes into your bank account. So you close on a property, say you're planning to net $100,000 on the sale of your property. That money never goes into your bank account. It goes into the trustee's bank account, the accommodator's bank account, the qualified intermediary's bank account. They all have different names that all mean the same thing. So then the money goes there and you have 180 days from the day you close on your relinquished property, the property you're selling, you have 180 days to close on the replacement property. The time clock also is simultaneously running for days to identify the properties that you're going to purchase. So you have 45 days to identify, but that 45 days is not on top of the 180 days to close. Those time clocks run together. So best to have an idea of what you wanna buy to make it easier, less stressful for sure, but also less risk. So you don't wanna miss those deadlines or you pay the taxes, right? So that's a pain. So what you do need to do is have an idea of what you want to identify as quickly as possible. What I tell people is ideally, in a perfect world, you would go under contract to sell the property and usually those escrow timelines take about 30 days. And during that 30 days, you find replacement property. You can even put it under contract and make offers contingent on that property closing. And then that property closes and you could almost simultaneously close on the relinquished property and the replacement property within that 45 day window, less stress, less headache. And if something goes wrong with the replacement property, maybe the inspection, maybe the inspection comes back and says, you have a foundation problem or just a non-starter. For us, that's flood zones, foundation problems, neighborhoods, major repairs, 
that the seller won't cover those type of things, right? Or even a low appraisal and the seller won't lower the price, right? Those are just non-starters. So if you want to cancel, you still have 45 days potentially to identify replacement property. You can say, oh, I'll pivot and I'll buy something else, right? Just talking with a client today, he's out of his 45 day window. He's already designated his properties and there's an inspection item that he was really nervous about. And I said, that's fine. The only reason I'm trying to get it fixed for you is this is a 1031 exchange. And he said, I don't wanna buy it and we're gonna put more money into one of the other properties he designated. Okay, so if we could have done it faster and we closed within that 45 day window when we had all those inspections at least, we could have pivoted and bought another property. So that is super helpful. It, a lot of 1031 exchanges get a bad name because people feel like they have to close on something they don't wanna buy. The way to get around that is timeline to be a little quicker on your designation so you have time to change if you need to. All right. So now there's some creative funding options, okay? <laughs> this kind of stuff we did mention a little bit. So a home equity line of credit, a couple things to be aware of. In 2008, because we're in some economic volatility right now, this is just something to know about. That if you have a home equity line of credit and it's held at the same bank where you have all of your checking accounts, they could, what they did before was take that money and pay off that home equity line and close it out. And so people had all their cash just taken and put into, like they were put and gone to pay off a debt, right? So keep that in mind that a way to avoid that would be to have your checking and your home equity line, the funds in separate institutions. So that can't happen. Just a little tip that we learned in 2008. <laughs> Not personally, but from our clients. You can partner on deals. So if you have great credit and you know someone that has the funds, then you partner together and you can work out a way to split the cash flow and vice versa, right? So that can be someone, we have a lot of clients that have great credit, but no funds. And we have a lot of clients that have a lot of funds and not an ability to qualify. Not that they don't have great credit, but maybe they don't have a job coming in or income coming in to declare. So partnering can be mutually beneficial. Another one would be an asset-based loan, a little more expensive, but similar terms to a conventional loan, just a higher rate usually, a little higher lender fee, but you can often get a 30-year fixed asset-based loan. Not all the time, but you can usually, sometimes 25-year or whatever. Another cool option is a option to buy a property that needs work, rehab it. So you've put in the sweat equity, you rent it out, and you refinance it. So you can take your cash back out. Because usually you've built some equity into that property such that you can get sometimes all of your money back out and maybe a little bit more, right? So then you can go do that again and continue to acquire properties until you want to. Like there's no, the sky's the limit with that, right? Until you want to stop is what I meant to say. So there are some really creative ways to acquire property. We have an option like that in one of our markets right now. We're just starting it out. The There's some risks in that one because I'm just transparent like that. This is the Get Real podcast. So the risk would be, what if you have work being done on the property and it's remote to you and the rehabber just quits and doesn't finish? And then you're remote trying to orchestrate a rehab of a property that's not located near you. That's That was a risk that held us back from doing this, but we have a reliable rehabber who's been doing this model 
for several years, but in the primary residence space. The other would be that you get a property, you finish the rehab and that goes fine, but you go over budget. So maybe you don't have the equity to work with, right? So you did all that work and maybe it didn't even pay off on the sweat equity side, okay? Another thing that could go wrong <laughs> is you could rehab it and then not be able to rent it and it sits vacant for six months. Also not likely, you just reduce the rent, but it's something to have your eyes open, be prepared for just in case. Have some reserves if you're doing a project like that. And then refinance, if something happens in the economy and refinancing isn't an option for whatever reason, that you have potentially a lot of equity you can't utilize. But the upside on those is oftentimes worth all those risks. <laughs> so if you can get into a property with essentially no money down, I mean, that's a home run. We do have one lender who will do it with um, not a refinance. He will actually have you get acquire a hard money loan during the rehab stage. And then at the end of the process, you're taking out the financing. So you could potentially never have put a dollar of your own money into the project and have the rehab finish. You've paid a hard money lender, but maybe you have enough equity that it pays off that as well, right? Or maybe you're in it for just the payment of the hard money loan. So pretty cool concept, something we haven't played in that space because of all those risks and us coordinating in the middle with our clients. But like I said, we're playing in that space right now and it's been really fun. So those are some creative options of ways to get in the game. So I love the topic of financing because we've talked about leverage in here multiple times, having the option to leverage your relationships, leverage your money and leverage to allow you to grow faster which is amazing. So um, who doesn't want to grow their portfolio faster and have a higher rate of return, right? So that is all for today. We're going to talk about market next time. So we're going to talk about current economic factors, how that plays into all of this, why real estate is on fire right now across the country, how to get in the game, how to have enough knowledge to overcome any trepidation or fear that you have with the current economic factors. So we have a lot of cool stuff and a lot of data to talk about. This is where we play all day, Ron and I, and totally love it. So if you have any questions, please reach out. Or if you have any suggestions, invest at rpcinvest.com. And please like us on Facebook or on any social media platform, really, we're everywhere, but also on YouTube, because we have we post these on YouTube. And please leave a written review on the podcast. Ron just sent me a picture yesterday from the Apple podcast app saying we're trending, which was so, we were both so excited. So thank you for all of your support. A lot of you reach out to me and tell me that this podcast has really helped you. And I love that feedback. When you spend time doing something and you don't see someone on the other end of this talking back to you, <laughs> sometimes it's nice to know that it's enjoyable for somebody else and that it's helping you. So please do that. And until next time, go out and make something happen. Don't wait for the right timing. Just start, even if it's small. Have a great day. This has been the Get Real Podcast. To subscribe and for more information, including a list of all episodes, go to getrealestatesuccess.com.